0: It's time to awaken your inner traveler and zip around the world as money is sent to the people who rely on it. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa. Hello, how are you? That's Renil. He and his wife, Kashalia, built and now run a guest house called the Courtyard Villa in Siguria, Sri Lanka. They run it mostly themselves and list it on home rental travel apps to attract tourists from around the world.
1: It's a very unique place and it's also uh, situated in the cultural triangle so that they, they can easily access to the Anuradhapura and Sigiriya and Polonnaruwa. It is the famous uh, places to visit in there and we have a beautiful small garden. It feels like you are in a small paradise once you enter from the gate. We have beautiful drawings all over the walls in the courtyard villa done by my husband. Mainly, the drawings are replicas of Sigiria frescoes. So, when anyone comes to our place, they get a different kind of vibe. Uh, definitely a positive one.
0: Despite the positive vibes, though, the
1: couple have had trouble getting their guest house to be profitable. Sri Lanka tourism got hit by some unfortunate incidents like Easter bombing attack in 2019 and the COVID case in 2020, and the financial crisis in Sri Lanka that currently we are facing. So it's uh, it's been a tough time, not only for us, but also for all the people who depend on tourism in Sri Lanka. There are so many dreams that still didn't come true for Sri Lankan people. Um, We hope there will be a better future for all of us soon.
0: A lot of countries like Sri Lanka rely on international tourism, and access to more payment options has enabled small business owners like Renil and Kushalia to welcome guests from all over the world. But there are still wrinkles to iron out making money flow more smoothly across borders and currencies. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa. I'm Indre Viscontis. On this podcast, we follow the money as it zips around the world, enabling our fellow humans to survive and thrive. And we talk to the experts who are building the tools that will transform the next generation of money movement. When money goes digital, we expect it to move as fast as a text message. After all, there's no physical object that needs to get from here to there. But of course, no one is gonna steal my text message if it falls into the wrong hands, or if they do, well, the consequences aren't that dire. We put our money in banks to keep it safe and maybe watch it grow. But now that the digital revolution is here, and we've gotten a taste for real-time money movement with apps that allow us to pay for rides, split dinner, or sleep on a couch almost instantly, we want that same ease to be in place when we bank. To take a deeper dive into how this works, today we're talking to Parikshit Bhattacharya, or PB, Director and Head of Cash Management Sales for the Middle East at Barclays, and Norman Butler, Managing Director of Visa Payments Limited. Welcome to Money Travels, Norman and Parikshit. So the digital revolution has changed the way we travel and shop, from renting rooms and sharing rides to buying fruit directly from the farmers at the market without having to carry cash. Norman, how has this drive towards digital shaped the industry?
2: Like many sectors, our sector is kind of no different. We've seen sort the of last two to three years, several years worth of Digital acceleration happening, right? You know, it's, it's really been accelerated by the pandemic and everything surrounded about that, that that we just didn't expect as an industry. And I think many industries were in were in the same situation. So that kind of whole money movement space, that switch to digital happening in there has, has been has been really, really important. What's been actually quite interesting about that, to kind of watch that and see what's happened is the amount of innovative technology that's come to fruition and, and, and come out. We've seen that in other industries. We've seen that in our industry, as as I said, and not just from the areas that you expect, you know, you expect to see it with fintechs in some areas, but we've also seen it in what you might consider more of the traditional banking environments as well. So we're seeing some really interesting things happening in the kind of cross-border banking space. And I'd probably add one more thing quickly, though. Even though we've seen that going forward, there's still a lot of challenges there, right? Still a lot of challenges that we're seeing across that. Whilst there's been that digital acceleration, if you like, or that digital option. It's still clear kind of many companies, many individuals, they face complexities, they face difficulties in moving money, whether that's within region, whether that's across the world. And ultimately, that hurts them as individuals and businesses, and it hurts the wider economy as well.
0: So tell me a little bit about what the pain points are. Like, where are the places where things are either breaking down or need need improvement in terms of cross-border payments?
2: Yeah, I think sort of several things complicate it, right? Some several things kind of make it difficult. The biggest one is a lack of standardization. When you're working domestically, a country has normally got a fairly standardized payment infrastructure, whether that's through an ACH system, whether that's through a real time payment system. Those are fairly standard. The minute you cross border, there's very little standardization there, so you hit complexities, and you have, you may have a business, particularly if you think on the business side. Part of that acceleration we've seen, but also as the, as the world globalises and you have businesses like marketplaces or people are building their own networks like ride sharing companies and stuff. They're building solutions that will work across the world. They don't need to be physically located across the world, but they're building businesses that that can, can operate across the world. And actually, when they get to complexity, is when they need to transact and it actually comes to money movement or commerce, because that's the one time where they get out of their network operating in a standardized way and say, actually, how do I get a payment into the UAE, for example, right? Or into Sri Lanka or into another part of the world. And I, and I think what's underneath that is that lack of standardization, it's the fragmentation, it's the difficulty in operations in how you handle that when that's very different in different markets. It makes it very, very complex.
0: Parikshan, I wonder if you might speak to this, have the last couple of years sort of set you scrambling? Or is it like, does it feel as if there's like a real big move to modernize? Or is this something that's kind of bit in the pipeline now you get to get to take advantage?
3: In the UAE, our digital journey began several years ago. COVID obviously helped accelerate that journey. We've seen the fundamentals of organizations moving or adopting digital remain the same. It drives simplicity, it drives efficiency, it drives better treasury management decision making. So those fundamentals remain the same. What COVID has done is it's fast-tracked that journey.
0: So I want to kind of walk through how money changes hands digitally today compared with maybe, say, you know a few years. And I know there's a lot of different ways that this has happened, that it can happen. But at the top of the episode, we heard from a couple who's in Sri Lanka and they run a small hotel. And they have been able to sort of get their hotel up and going because they can use an app to collect payment from their customers rather than a traditional bank. So I wonder, Norman, if you can walk us through the infrastructure that supports this kind of money movement for small businesses, both in terms of what it would be like if if it went through the app and where the role of the large financial institution might be, and then what's different and what's the
2: same. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I think in that example where you've got the ability to enable what in that case is a small business to be able to transact, you know, globally and then get people from across the world to to utilize their services with the the easiness of an app. And maybe see if I start with how it was before and kind of traditionally, you'd have no connectivity with the customer that's coming and wanting to consume a service. In this case, a hotel, ready right, to come through. So you'd have to arrange that ahead of time. You'd have to either ask for bank details, um, go through that, verify those. The, The onus would be put on the sender to get that money to you. So they'd have to go and see their bank, telephone their bank, whatever it might be, and say, I need to move money to Sri Lanka. I've got this set of details. How do I do that? You'd go through that. You'd potentially go in branch, fill out a form, work out what the fees and the foreign exchange on that transaction would be, send an amount that would go through a correspondent banking system. It would bounce to... One, two, how many banks were necessary to get it from where the sender was to the beneficiary, and along the way, the amount that's delivered may get changed because as the people participating in the transaction are working through that, they can take transaction fees out of that. So, for this couple right in their hotel services right coming out of Canada and say, actually, I was supposed to get the equivalent of a thousand dollars, and I've ended up with nine hundred and fifty-six. Right, so it's like. Not a great experience, clunky, you're not able to confirm the reservation necessarily until you've got the thing coming through. When you kind of move to the app based, it's like putting the power in the hands, in this case, of the receiver who is who is setting how they want to get paid. So they've got an app, they've gone through and they said, yep, my services are available here. Here are all the ways I can I can get paid, and that can be in the app. And that can be as simple as I will take a card, I will take a 16-digit card. Someone can go in, simply put in and say, yeah, I want to pay with a debit card or a credit card. Put that through. Works you know, seamlessly using the card network systems that we have to work through. It could be an account-based solution. But again, the details are all there. The sender can complete that within an app environment. It's very seamless and it happens much, much quicker and with predictability on the amounts that would get through.
0: So Pariksit, what if this was a couple that owned a small hotel in the UAE? Is there anything that would be different in that situation that's specific to the UAE?
3: The fundamentals of moving money would be the same in most parts of the world. What we see different from the different countries depends on what are the available payment mediums in that country. For instance, does the country have a real-time payment architecture so you could transfer money into that hotel owner? Are there payment mediums that support out of business processing are there payment mediums that um, support information transfer along with that payment instruction so it really depends on what payment infrastructure is available in that country now you know in the UAE we've seen the governments innovating really driving the payment landscape and the payment architecture they've introduced a number of digital payment systems over the years and that's really helped drive the digital payment ecosystem in the country
0: Yeah, so tell me a little bit about some of these innovations. What has the UAE done in order to make it more efficient?
3: What's very interesting is how the governments tried to drive the payment evolution in the country. Predominantly, in the past, UAE was a very paper and cash-heavy economy. But over the last five years, for instance, we've seen the value and volume of checks go down. And that's a clear sign of the economy moving towards digital. If we look at the primary electronic payment system in the UAE today, it currently processes a significant amount of the GDP of the country. I think what's very interesting is that the UAE is also focusing on the future. So the UAE has very recently announced a national payment system strategy, which basically completely transforms the domestic payment architecture. It introduces a completely real-time payment system. It brings a whole bunch of payment features along with it. Along with What's happening domestically in the UAE, what's even interesting is how the governments across the wider Middle East are collaborating to solve for cross-border payment delivery within the Arab world. So for instance, there are two very interesting payment systems that are progressing. One is the AFAC payment system, which integrates the six countries of the GCC. And then there is the wider BUNA payment system, which integrates the wider countries of the Arab community.
0: I wonder if you might jump in and tell us a little bit about what Visa Direct can do or has done to sort of help enable this infrastructure in the UAE specifically and then maybe in other regions of the world too.
2: Happy to. And and I think if I can pick up on some of the stuff PB was talking about there first to kind of put that into context a little bit, because... The UAE is a really interesting region. It's a sort of fascinating part of the world when you think about money movement, because it kind of sits as a hub, a little bit of a hub between East and West. And because of that, there's a huge amount of commerce that kind of works through. And we've seen that in the numbers, by the way, if you look at like 2022 kind of foreign trade numbers, they've they've been increasing and continue to kind of go up. What's interesting to note as the UAE kind of moves forward and as we look forward is the diversification from oil that is quite important into other industries such as uh, hospitality, tourism, real estate, transportation, etc. There, but what comes with that from our side, and when we think about money movement, is actually that's increasing the number of commerce transactions, increasing the number of money movement transactions. Just think about hospitality and tourism itself, linking to the to the couple we had up front. You know the transactions that go around that. They're quite frequent, they're happening on a regular basis and kind of need to support that. So actually having digitized solutions in place that help to support those is, is really important. So from VisaRx perspective, what do we do? We're offering you know, solutions that both sit to consumers and businesses. And as I said earlier, from a UAE perspective and a, and a business in the UAE or a receiver in the UAE, the ability to be connected to that and to say, actually, I want to control how I'm getting paid Right, you'll be able to do that and say, yeah, please pay me like this. And, and then we've got a system through Visa Direct where people can connect point to point directly for low cost, simple transaction fees that get the actual amount that you're trying to send or deliver through and receive to the beneficiary. So we think that works really well in this market.
0: How do you see the UAE and the wider region evolving in terms of payments?
2: I think we see it all over the world. I think what's maybe one of the uniquenesses about UAE is when you think about the, the population base. 1st you've got that shift in how the economy is moving, but also when you think about the population, you look at the UAE and you say it's—I think it's about 10 million people, something like that. But it's a big. There's a big expat community. There's a big migrant worker community, and how it's set up. And whilst it's a generalisation, you take that community together. They're generally younger, right? So if you've got like a large proportion of younger people. Of working age, then again, another generalization, but broadly true. And this comes through that they're, they're more open to digitization. They're more o- open to innovation technology, early adopters of alternate ways of doing things and in our industry, alternate payments. So I think that's what makes it particularly interesting and and particularly high growth that we're seeing in this part of the world.
0: Parikh, anything you want to add?
3: I think there's a lot of similarities in the UAE with the other countries in the region. Typically, countries in this part of the world have a very high per capita income. In fact, five out of the six GCC countries feature in the top 50 worlds per capita list. And what that means is typically countries with higher per capita income would have higher disposable income and higher disposable income typically brings higher spends. Now, now all of that would, of course, require payments. Now where each country is in their own payments journey might differ based on what level of technology and architecture they want to deploy. So, for instance, there are countries in the region who've just introduced an RTG as a real-time gross settlement uh, uh, system. Some countries are a bit advanced and already delivered instant payment systems like the Saudi Arabia and the UAE. I think uh, all of the countries are on that journey, and, and it's great to see how they're coming together to sort of solve for wider regional cross-border payment issues like the BUNA and the AFAC payment system that we just spoke of.
0: Yeah, and Norman, also you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why bank fees were high for cross-border payments was because there were a lot of different routes that the money had to take, so there were middlemen, that each had to be compensated. But now we have these like low-value but high-volume transactions as you you were describing. Can you tell us a little bit about how this change of landscape has become possible, and how do these low-value, high-volume transactions, how have they shaped the changes in money movement?
2: And I think it's where we've seen huge growth, you know, explain some of the reasons why And when we were talking before, but it continues to grow as the world gets smaller, if you like, and, and we start to think less about borders and just, you know, today we don't think twice about purchasing something in an e-com environment or an online environment from another part of the world, right? You know, it's, it's a perfectly normal thing to do. 15 years ago, we, we we potentially wouldn't have done. And so if, you know, we're thinking about that and, and how we put it together, these types of transactions are just growing every year. And we see it from talking to our banking partners and our banking clients, talking about these number, these number of payments and growing out. So if they grow and grow and grow, it kind of forces innovation, right? And the system I was describing earlier just didn't support... These kind of volumes, what a relatively kind of low value transaction. So you force innovation. You have people like Visa and plenty of other people who are coming to that to say, okay, how do I make the user experience better? Right? How, how do I get into that and say, what do people want? And people generally want a few things, and they're fairly consistent. That they, they want transparency. They want to know that the money they're sending is the money that's going to arrive, and they want to know when it's going to arrive. Right? You just see there's, there's not a lot of complexity into that. So so building tools and innovations, making them digital, making them as point-to-point as you can make them. In our world, the way we work, we're a bank-to-bank provider. We operate a network by connecting a sending bank, which is connected to the originator, to a receiving bank. that's connected to the receiver. You can simplify that transaction. You can build the digital experience and you can hit those key points that a sender and a receiver want.
3: So we work together with a number of payment service providers globally and in the UAE as well. And We've seen a great success in being able to service visas, overseas-originated payments into the UAE over the last few years. We've seen volumes scale. We've seen return ratios decline, and we've delivered a higher automation and higher processing speeds. So we've seen success in this space, and generally we see a lot more collaboration between
2: banks and financial technology providers in this space over the years excellent. PB's point is really well made. Barclays for us has been a fantastic partner in the UAE that enables us to connect and deliver our solution in, into this region region of the world. And Barclays wouldn't be doing that if it didn't see value in working with us and, and allowing us to do this. But of course, they're not only connected with us, we are connected to many providers to, to facilitate that. But it's just one of a number of options that they that have.
0: So Norman, you know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how banks can kind of expand this network effect in regions where maybe there is less of a ground footprint where people traditionally have, haven't been reachable. I wonder if you could talk about sort of like you know, I don't know if Sri Lanka is that kind of a place, but I imagine there are places in the world where, you know, this kind of uh, acceptance has been slower. And what might Visa do to help them?
2: Yeah, we've got many solutions. You know, we work with partners across the world and we work with partners that still have cash as, as, a, as a method of pay in and pay out, right? You know, and that's still appropriate in some parts of the world and in some geographies within particular markets. But as we think, and as we try and digitize that, because we believe electronification of payments is a force for good for, for everybody there's a number of benefits that come from that and there's ways to do that from the way visa direct operates today which gets into some kind of account based structure it doesn't have to be bank account can be a wallet can be a digital wallet can be a mobile wallet and and we see in particularly those parts of the world where maybe there were challenges before in kind of getting a digital payment through wallets are providing a solution to that and i think our perspective is it will connect to whatever is the appropriate tool for that market. So we don't just operate a system that works into to accounts, we operate a system that will work into wallets as well. So if you're in a market such as China or Bangladesh or other markets like that, where the, their wallets are prevalent, and indeed in, in the UAE, we're talking about here, there's uh, the use of wallets as well. That's a great way to actually work with markets that are at a different stage in evolution and have kind of maybe skipped that kind of bank account step.
0: So... Pariksit, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about specifically the migrant workers in the UAE. As I understand, that's a pretty big part of the population, and I imagine they're probably hard to reach. What can we do to make sure that they get paid once they've done the work that they've done and that they have access to their earnings?
3: Yeah, sure. In the past, migrant worker payroll was quite an important area of concern for the government because there were a number of instances where These workers weren't paid on time or weren't paid at all. So the UA Central Bank, along with the Ministry of Labour, created this specific payroll system called the Wage Protection System, the WPS. And what the WPS does is it mandates payroll being moved through this specific payroll system that allows the Ministry of Labour to track whether payroll is being paid on time, etc. And that was then followed by the WPS being implemented in a number of countries in the region. Now, what happens in that process is payments are electronic, payments are recorded, and there is a true evidence of when and how workers are paid.
0: So, Pariksha, one more little follow-up question about sort of migrant workers, or just in the UAE, as Norman mentioned, the population skews quite young, and I imagine that they have an increased usage of mobile phones and maybe digital wallets. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, are there any differences in the UAE that you're seeing that is sort of coming from the the fact that the population is younger?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think mobile commerce and e-commerce have grown significantly in the UAE over the last few years. We've seen the instant payment system that the government launched a few years back picking up a lot of volumes. And in general, I think the consumer behavior or their expectation of a payment delivery has changed. And a lot of that change is driven by a younger population, a population that has access to apps and mobile phones and internet and rely on digital channels and platforms.
0: So Norman, what about the rise of digital banks? What impact do you think they might have on sort of money movement globally? Can you talk to that a little bit?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think digital banks have a really key role to play. You know, they're, they're they have the advantage sometimes if they've, they've kind of built cleanly from fur. You know, they don't have uh, any encumbrance of legacy system or anything coming through. So they often offer some really innovative solutions that that people can pick up and use. They often work in niches. They're targeting certain segments, certain uh, parts of the population to be able to work through. And I think they're they're a great thing for the industry, right? Because they keep everybody honest they keep everybody being pushed along to actually drive ultimately great user experiences right that tends to be what they what they focus on and and i think it it drives us to better products because of that and and the needs that we need to meet for them and it moves the whole industry forward
0: so something i would love to get both of your thoughts on is what's being done to mitigate anti money laundering risks
2: the basics are the important stuff right you know ensuring you've got robust tooling in place that's performing all the proper you know, compliance checks and stuff that come through, AML reviews, sanction screenings, et cetera, and doing those all the way through the chain by the parties involved. So the, the sending institution ourselves as the network, uh, and then the receiving institution as well. It's just belt and braces stuff that you have to do through the transaction to protect everyone involved.
3: Yeah. And just to add to that, to what Norman said, I think what banks typically do in this space is a multi-fold training process, right? So, we screen typically what we call live payments, live events. So as a payment transpires through the different clearing systems, there is a live screening. And then we also screen on a behavioral profile. So after the payment has been executed, after the payment has been processed, are there any traits? Are there any
2: behaviors
3: that warrant a further review?
0: So can you tell us what's next on the horizon?
2: What's next on the horizon? I think we're seeing really interesting things happening in, in global remittances, kind of new record levels of remittances, you know, coming through the system. And so I think continuing the theme that we've been talking about, that there's a huge opportunity to digitize those. Still a lot of cash operating in the remittance world when people are moving from one part of the world to the other. And we talked about migrant workers. We talked about others who do that. We don't see that slowing down. We only see that growing. So I think, you know, that's a big next area of focus is how you go to the next level in digitizing those.
3: Yeah, I would completely agree to what Norman said. And specifically, if you look at the UAE, there are a number of industries that's, that's driving the change. UAE is one of the world's leading re-export hubs. So there's a significant amount of international trade. And that international trade is going to bring with it new challenges of cross-border payments we see the UAE as a leading tourism destination. So we're going to see a lot more flow of retail, consumer, low-value payments. Going ahead into the future, there'll be a lot more standardization, a lot more collaboration between countries, between both the public sector and the private sector.
0: So in Money Travels, we like to end each episode with some rapid-fire questions. So if you're ready, I'm going to start now. PB, let's start with you. Why is money movement important? Why should we care?
3: If money is the lifeblood of commerce, then payments is its circulation system.
0: Norman, same for you.
2: Economies continue to adjust. They're moving forward. They're digitizing. And money movement's at the heart of that. And a required shift for flexible and easy-to-use solutions is fundamental and paramount.
0: Freakshit. what is... One specific change you've seen in the landscape in the UAE, say in the last three years?
3: A continued commitment for transformation, whether that is the digital payment landscape, whether that is improving risk management, or whether that is having a continuous need for improvement.
0: And one more for you, PB. what's the most exciting innovation that you're looking forward to in money movement?
3: The proliferation of real-time payments
2: across the world.
0: Norman, what's the most common complaint you hear from banks?
2: Not being able to get the transaction amount you're trying to move, sent with certainty to the destination. That's a big problem.
0: And what aspect of money movement do you think is ripe for disruption?
2: Certainly cross-border, right? Cross-border is the most underserved in terms of hitting all of the requirements of the senders and the receivers.
0: Well, Parikshit and Norman, thank you so much for coming on to Money Travels.
3: It's
2: been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Norman and Parikshit, And thank you for listening to this episode of Money Travels. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe or follow the show and leave us a review so more people can find it. Until next time, I'm Andre Viscontis, and this has been Money Travels presented by Visa. Oh, And if you're looking for a place to go in 2023 that's off the beaten track...
1: Please come to visit visit Sri Lanka. So come and see our beautiful country. We hope there will be a better future for all of us soon.